Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, it is the dawn of a new era. Today, I pass the torch to Dr. Monica Johnson as the new host of the Savvy Psychologist podcast. We will chat about the meaning of a psychologist's work, the biggest challenges in mental health, and what you get to look forward to on the show now that Dr. Johnson is about to take over. Charles Darwin once said, It is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. I think I agree with that. Adaptability is what allows us to renew and grow. And I'm excited for today's episode, very special episode, because it's one that heralds renewal and growth for this podcast, which is very close to my heart. So as you may have heard from last week's episode, this will be my last time hosting this show. I've treasured my two years at The Savvy Psychologist with sharing my passion and hopefully some wisdom with you. And I've learned so much in the process, not the least from your thoughtful questions and feedback. So for this, I am very grateful. I'm also grateful today for my very special guest, who will be our next Savvy Psychologist, because her incredible personal and professional experiences will make this show go deeper than it's ever gone before. Dr. Monica Johnson is a clinical psychologist and owner of Kind Mind Psychology, a private practice in New York City that specializes in evidence-based approaches to treating a wide range of mental health issues like depression, anxiety, trauma, and personality disorders. Additionally, she has a focus on working with marginalized groups of people, including BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and alternative lifestyles. She has co-authored a book for professionals on addressing race-based stress and therapy and regularly speaks and teaches on the subject. She currently lives in Manhattan, where she indulges in horror movies, sarcasm, and intentional introversion, which I love that concept. So Dr. Johnson and I sat down to have a conversation about her path as a psychologist and as a human, her favorite psychological concepts, and her ideas of the future of mental health. Without further ado, take a listen to our conversation. Welcome to The Savvy Psychologist, for which you will be the writer and host starting next week. So we're super excited to get to know you today. Uh, So let's dive in with... The big question, how did you decide to be a psychologist? What drew you to this work? Yeah, um, I think I'm pretty weird because I decided to be a psychologist when I was 12 years old. (laughs) It's well documented in my journals from that time period. So really from that point on, I dedicated my whole life to accomplishing that goal. Yeah, wow. So what was it about 12-year-old Monica Johnson that wanted to become a psychologist? 
I grew up in poverty in the Deep South um, in a single parent household. Um, so I faced a lot of like adversity as a child. So that really is what motivated me to go into psychology. I was the only person in my family to even think about going to college. Um, and I recognized that because of my experiences that I was resilient. I didn't know the t- that term at that time, but I did say in my journal that I knew that I was a strong person and that I wanted to impart that strength onto others through osmosis. Wow. <laughs> so it was really important to me that people had the knowledge that they weren't alone and that they also had the power to change their circumstances. And I still feel that way today. That's a really powerful message, I think. And what a mature and passionate 12-year-old to be thinking along those lines. So what is your day-to-day experience as a psychologist like now? What do you do? I own a private practice in Manhattan called Kind Mind Psychology. So most of my days are spent seeing patients. I also supervise both doctoral and master's level trainees and therapists. I conduct workshops and I also do some life coaching. Um, My practice usually focuses on CBT and DBT interventions. So I see a wide range of disorders, including depression, anxiety, PTSD, complex trauma, and borderline personality disorder. Uh, I think most importantly, uh, something to note about my practice is it does focus on bringing therapy to underserved populations. So we cater to BIPOC people, individuals from the LGBTQ community, and also those engaging in alternative lifestyles like sex work or polyamory. That's really important work that you're doing for sure. And so what is your favorite part of being a psychologist? Oh, that's a really easy question for me. Uh, My favorite part is seeing patients. (laughs) I love direct patient care. Uh, For me, it's really such an honor to be present with people as they're doing the hard work that we do in therapy. So watching them start to connect with themselves more honestly and non-judgmentally and seeing them skillfully address the problems that arise for them really just like warms my heart. I love the part of therapy where we're like reflecting back and we talk about kind of what it was like when they initially presented for therapy where maybe they were severely depressed, had really poor relationships and are engaging in self-harm. And then to look and see that like on most days their depression is taking a back seat, that they've been in a long-term relationship and that they're engaging in healthy coping strategies is just phenomenal to me. I love that part to see the growth and be present for that. Yeah, I bet. And I bet your personal experience can really speak authentically to what some of your patients may be experiencing. Do you feel that having had the experiences that you've had, you're able to connect to a lot of the people that you're trying to serve? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of my patients really see me as kind of like, the real talk, no BS kind of (laughs) therapist. Sometimes I'll joke and say I'm kind of like a sarcastic Buddha. Um, But I think having those life experiences, I think people do feel that energy and they know that what I am talking about is both academic because I'm an evidence-based therapist, but that I also have real lived experiences. And I think that they can pick that up in the therapy room. Yeah, and that is a really powerful energy that I think does really help with the therapy process. And 
sarcastic Buddha. I could use one of those in my life. That sounds great. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what about your least favorite part of being a psychologist? Are there any things that are really difficult or challenging? Uh, nothing related to the actual work. I mean, I guess my most annoying part is dealing with insurance companies because <laughs> they're enough. very time consuming, sure. but nothing related to like the care of my patients. So in the years that you have been in clinical practice and working as an academic as well, has there been anything that's taken you by surprise, like really challenged the way you look at the world or other people or yourself any big moments like that that really change the way you think or see the world? Yeah, uh, it's really hard to surprise me, but I've definitely had a lot of moments in therapy that have really marked me as like a professional and a human being. So, you know, one of my mottos in life is to do the hard thing first. And that was also very true in my development as a psychologist. You know, there's a general stigma about mental health, but there's also within the mental health community, a lot of a lot of populations that have an an even larger stigma attached to them. So when I was in school and, and throughout my career, I've tried to work with a lot of those populations. So when I was in school, I focused on forensic psychology. So I worked a lot with sex offenders, both adolescents and adults, to reduce the likelihood of reoffense and also to help them develop healthy behaviors I've focused on the treatment of borderline personality disorder, which unfortunately is also highly stigmatized. And I was even the lead psychologist of a homeless clinic for several years. In all the work that I've done, I've had really amazing moments with people. You know, I've helped gay patients come out to devoutly Christian parents. I've helped BIPOC people deal with the vicarious trauma of seeing someone being murdered because of the color of their skin. I've literally seen women the day after they've been sexually assaulted or beaten by a partner. And on my own side of things, I've had patients come into the therapy room and call me the N-word or say other racially disparaging remarks to me. And in those experiences, I was able to get them to respectfully engage in their care and focus on reducing their mental health symptoms. So all of those things really help to deepen my abilities as a professional and as a person to be non-judgmental, to be compassionate, and to focus on my purpose, which is to reduce suffering and to help them build a life that feels worthwhile to them. That sounds like incredibly important, but also challenging work. How do you work on your self-care during difficult times like this? Yeah, I'm pretty fiercely protective of my routines. (laughs) You know, I've worked with a lot of difficult populations, so, and I'm also introverted. I've been journaling since I was 12 years old. (laughs) That's something that I do on a regular basis. And I exercise usually four or more times a week. And I'm really into like horror movies and things like that. And so all (laughs) of those things help me. to like do my self-care and and take care of myself when I'm doing this kind of work. Yeah, I'm so glad you do because it sounds really like you are going through emotional roller coasters through your work, both highs and lows and really difficult situations and crises. And during all that time, you're remaining non-judgmental, you're remaining professional and really delivering the care that people need, even though you must be dealing with your own emotions too during that time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can do the work and not feel for the people who you're treating. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen. If we zoom out a little bit and look at mental health as an overall field, do you think there's an area that is being really neglected, an area that's underrated that we really should be paying more attention to? In general, I think anything related to minority groups. We still have a lack of research that adequately supports the needs of BIPOC people, LGBTQ people, etc. We still need to do a better job at that as a whole. I think it's really important because we live in this wonderfully colorful world and we need all of those shades to be accurately represented in the work that we're doing. I also think it's really important to reduce healthcare disparities that impact the accessibility and quality of care that these populations are able to attain. So maybe this question is a bit of a same way of asking the same thing, but if you could have a magic wand to change one thing about our society's perception about mental health or the way that we deal with mental health issues, the way that we work with mental health on a systemic level, or something along those lines, what would that magic wand be? I would totally just remove all of the stigma associated with mental health care and have people look at it as mandatory. Mm. And I hope that through that occurring, then we would see people more regularly engaging in mental health care, both long term and short term. I mean, I've done work in primary care psychology and there is some benefit to certain people to come in for just one session or a handful of sessions to do kind of like a mental health checkup and make sure, you know, things are operating the way that they would like for them to. So I hope that just removing the stigma and improving the access to care could help to improve some of those things. I also, this is just a pet peeve of mine, but I would really like to get rid of the term talk therapy. Traditionally, when people have used that term, it's had like a dismissive quality to it about like the work that we we do. Obviously, what we do involves talking, but it's a much more complex thing than that. So the way that I conceptualize it for myself is talking is the instrument by which the intervention is delivered to the patient. It's like a needle delivering a life-saving vaccine to someone. So the magic isn't in the poke of the needle. It's in the contents of the syringe. And what are the mechanisms of change that are activated as a result? 
I could not agree with you more. When people say talk therapy, it just gives this idea that oh, it's just talking, it's just chatting, and through chatting, maybe I don't know, magically you'll divest some of your mental health issues. That's that's not how that works at all.、Uh, what we do is very evidence based, and like you said, it is the content of the work that is being delivered. And yeah, I love how you describe that with the analogy of the poke of the the needle and the content of the syringe, and what you said earlier too about destigmatizing mental health care. I think that's so so important. In fact, sometimes when I describe what therapy is like or what its goals are, I I I describe it as kind of like doing physical therapy, like doing PT. You know, there's nothing stigmatized about going to see a PT about your broken ankle. You know, it's learning skills and learning concepts and applying them and practicing and gradually improving your function. I mean, that's exactly what we do, right? And you know, I think through this podcast, through the savvy psychologist, hopefully, we're doing our tiny little bit to help destigmatize、mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we can do a little virtual high five <laughs> for doing that. <laughs>、um, yeah. So. So, what is your favorite concept in psychology or in therapy? And you know, if you could just straight deliver it to everybody in the world, what would this concept be? One of my favorites is radical acceptance. I love this concept because, in my experience, it works when nothing else does. So when you use this skill, it's all about eliminating suffering because you you're accepting life on life's terms. So the general idea here is that when we fight against reality, we generate suffering, and when we accept reality, then we're left with ordinary pain. And so you really start to get the understanding that pain is mandatory and suffering is not. And so, through using the skill, we can get rid of all of the extra bits that we're generating or creating for ourselves. So, usually, when I'm teaching people about radical acceptance,、um, I try to go over like, what does it look like to to not be accepting something? Because <laughs> a lot of times, people don't understand what that looks like. So, I will let them know that like a classic non-acceptance thought is thinking, "This should have not happened."、Right. You know. When it's a simple kind of cause and effect situation, right? So, you know, if someone breaks into a pool in the middle of the night and they can't swim and they fall into the pool and there's nobody present to help them, they're going to drown. <laughs> These are facts. They're painful facts, but they're facts all the same. So, to say that it should not have happened is ignoring the causes. What I think people really mean when they say that is. I wish that this didn't happen, and that's a completely valid feeling and thought. So, with that, we can work with that wish therapeutically. We can kind of, you know, grieve that loss. We can find a pathway forward from there to help them reduce any unnecessary suffering. What I try to explain to to the patients that I work with. Is when you do the opposite of radical acceptance. It's like you have a wound that you keep digging into with your fingers, and then you're angry that it won't heal. I love radical acceptance too. I think this is one of the most powerful concepts in psychology. And you're right; it is like digging into a wound, this not accepting. And I think sometimes there's this big relief that wash washes over people when they realize, oh, suffering is optional. 
Like if I am willing to sit with the pain, then the pain is all I have to deal with, not the all the extra layers on top. So yes, I love, I love, love, love that concept. So let's wrap up our conversation today by looking forward and getting excited about your time as the upcoming Savvy Psychologist. What do you most look forward to sharing as the new Savvy Psychologist to our audience um, who are eager for more mental health information? You know, when thinking about this question, I mean, honestly, I'm hopeful that I'll live up to the standards set by yourself and the previous host. In general, I just look forward to sharing my passion about psychology and the work that we do. Um, And I hope that that's conveyed in every podcast. Um, And I'll plan to continue talking about anxiety, depression, just everyday things and how do we cope better with living life. In general, when I think about the messages that I like to present to people, I have what I call my three H's. So I have humor, hope, and healing. So if I can inspire someone to start or either keep walking down their path of healing or impart hope that things can improve and have a few laughs along the way, then I feel like I can be really happy with what I've done. Oh, that sounds like a winning combination. I love it. Your passion has already come through. That's very, very evident in our conversation today. So um, you're, you're already doing fantastic on that front. And I'm so excited to listen to your episodes and to learn from you. And I'm sure our audience will be as well. So on that note, welcome to The Savvy Psychologist. And I'm so excited for you to start. Thank you for joining us. And with that, we warmly welcome Dr. Johnson to the helm of The Savvy Psychologist. I am very excited to hear the insights and wisdom that she will share with all of us. And now a bittersweet moment. Let me say just a few more words to my listeners. It's been a pleasure, friends. Remember to prioritize your wellness. Capitalism and grind culture and social expectations can wait. Remember to cherish your relationships. Those are the things you will either love or regret the most at the end of your days. But also remember to respect yourself by keeping boundaries in relationships. You can be gentle but firm, even if it takes practice. Take sleep seriously. Treat your body the way you treat a rare and beautiful flower. And know that you're resilient even when it feels like you're falling apart when it feels like you can do nothing right, and even when it feels like there's no space for you in this world. It's not true, and you will see the light. Stay in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at PhD, where you will find sleep-related news and tips, as well as updates on my upcoming book. You can also sign up for my newsletter at www.jadewuphd.com. And as always, Thank you so much for listening, and I wish you a happier and healthier mind. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Beata Santora. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you again for joining me. Your new host, Dr. Monica Johnson, will see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.
Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.